Good evening, listeners and fellow preppers, and welcome to the first episode of the Tinfoil Podcast, live from the bunker. An introduction is in order. Folks around here call me the Guru, which is short for the Tinfoil Guru. Now that I've introduced myself, tell me, what's your name? I caught none of that, but thanks anyway for sharing. Today, we have a special guest, Marty Mouse, who's the brother of Mickey Mouse, interviewed by Todd, who went through the interview despite having a bad case of Batmanitis that affected his voice. But before that, I have an essay to share with you about the current political situation and a small history of the lizard's fight against mankind for global domination. After the interview, I'll be sharing the controversy of how In God We Trust was flipped by saying In God We Trust today on the dollar bill and many of our respected national emblems. This change has had a large effect on the fishermen who use the codfish trade to build the backbone of our great nation. More of that later. Finally, I'll end with a great recipe I found for all you guys living off the grid and underground like I am. But for now, here's an essay about the current political situation. In the recent presidential debate, you may have noticed that Bernie Sanders, one of the few human beings entering the fray of politics, is beating Hillary in terms of popularity. How can this be so? Well, as you know, the lizards control media and entertainment. Got that one Facebook friend who is always posting social media, political articles, and commentary, yet you don't know him in real life? Chances are that guy, or group admin, is a lizard. Lizards have no sense of morality, shame, humanity, or emotion. They look at our human traits as ways they can manipulate us to their will, and it's working. Things like sex and partnership are but means of reproduction and beneficiary protection to lizards. Notice how social media has transformed our relationships with other people into something cold, something distant. That's the lizard's influence getting to you. In a way, it is terrible and we are being dehumanized. Perhaps we can use our newfound emotional suppression against them when the uprising nears. At this point, you're probably wondering what all of this has to do with Hillary, right? Clearly, she isn't human, but at the same time, she isn't quite a lizard either, as proven when the human president Bill Clinton was discovered having an affair with his secretary. Like a human, she seemed to get somewhat upset, yet still unattached. Like a lizard, she used it to her somewhat political advantage. If this is so, why aren't the lizards on her side? The answer is simple, listeners. Hillary is a moleman. Moleman, being a dated term for the species as a whole, has no connection to gender, much like the etymology of human. The Molmen race was the first socially subterranean race to take control of the human race, gaining much of their power in the years of human development. When the Lizardmen arrived around 1965, 20 years after observing the light anomaly of the nuclear bombing of Japan from either their home planet or an expedition craft, 
This 20-year gap accounts for the travel time and the gap in light speed it takes to reach their eyes from space in their quest for conquerable life. They sought to take out the mole men who were concerned about the lizard's effect on their hold of power. If you doubt this, look back to the age before the bombs. Although there was a calculated and tribal side to the social-slash-power dynamics of society in the years prior to World War II, there was still something connecting us all as humans of our own tribes that hadn't been eradicated even via the religious structures in place that both divided and united opposing power struggles of the Mormon race. That is because traits are all mammalian, and in an attempt to win social zeal in the 60s and 70s over the lizards, the Mormon race initiated the start of the hippie movement. The end of this movement and our unity as humans ended with a victory for the lizards, as per their more advanced technology. Notice how since that ended, hippie culture has just become an image and not a true lifestyle? Notice how technology skyrocketed after the wars. Notice how wars became less about humanity and more about material and power benefits. How organized religion has broken down only to be followed by zealots who have literally gone crazy trying to keep their humanity in check in a lizard-controlled world. Thankfully, as a result of our mammalian genetic social structure adapting to a lizard society, people are starting to find ways to connect to what keeps us human while still being able to avoid getting targeted by the lizard agenda. I'm talking about things like the Tiny Homes Project and sustainable off-the-grid living movements. The reason these are off-the-grid, however, is because such living situations keep us content and docile prevent us from being able to interfere with either the moment or the lizard agenda. As a risk assessment, those who have the zeal to abandon larger society to live off the grid will be less of a risk if they remain in their prior society. The solitary nature of sustainable off-the-grid living prevents said off-the-grid people from having the means of becoming organized and starting trouble. Even the small communities go by an ethos of leaving little to no footprint while preserving their own lives outside of the big wizard mole controlled picture. What does that mean? Well, it means that the lizards are fighting Bernie Sanders and the lizards are fighting Hillary. Bernie, a human, someone that we can all relate to, seems to be the number one choice among most people who have a human mind intact. Lizards, lizard supporters, are all going for the Trump side of things. For Trump, I'm not sure if Trump is a human or just a puppet controlled by the lizards, but either way, he has a very interesting thing going for him. All lizard-fueled, of course, there's no question about that. But this is probably why you don't see much media being thrown Bernie's way. And even when the chance is there, he doesn't feed into the hate machines of the mole people or the lizardmen. He's simply human. Trusting in a human race with human goals to bring humanity together. Thank you. And now, I will be moving to Todd, who's interviewed Marty Mouse in a different section of the bunker. I hope you enjoy. Uh, welcome, coming to you live, uh, 
coming to you from the bunker. Uh, down, down in, in the bunker. Today, I have a special guest. He's Mickey Mouse's brother. He grew up next to, next to Mickey. He, he comes from an old abandoned place, uh, very close with Walt. And I'm very, I'm very, uh, very privileged to have him on our first show today. Introducing Marty Mouse. Thank you for being on the show today, Marty. It's quite an honor to be here, Mr. Guru. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an honor to have someone as interesting as you here in the stage. So, uh, so uh, let's, let's, let's get down to brass tacks here. Well, I'm coming for nowhere special today. Uh, just left my abandoned trailer back in the old home. Um, as you know, my name is Marty. Uh, Marty Esteban Mouse. So, uh, so tell me, tell me a little bit about yourself, Marty. Tell me about where where'd you come from, Marty? Well, me and Mick and uh, our twelve brothers and sisters grew up in New Orleans in a mouse hole behind the uh, Italian restaurant. Uh, huh. We only had a mom. Dad died to a cat, unfortunate. So uh, anyway, yeah, Mick was always popular with the neighborhood kids, given his childish and charming features. Well, you know, I wasn't so very attractive. <laughs> but, what a what a bastard! Yeah, what a bastard. What was it? What was it like, uh, growing up with Mickey Mouse? Growing up to this man. Well, this mouse. I was always behind his shadow, and uh, you know, he always wanted to do big things involving being on stage and other fun things, and I was just following behind him, I guess. And, you know, not sure what to do with anything myself. He was uh, he was uh, he was Walt's you know first uh first uh televised appearance. Getting him famous, right? Well, Is that true? Actually, no. Uh, uh, Walt actually had Oswald the Lucky Rabbit first, but um, dude, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, there was some little contract nonsense, but he recently got the contract back. But huh, you know, yeah. I, I missed it. Uh, Small uh, world. T- so tell me, Marty. Tell me, Marty. So how did how did you uh, how how did you meet Walt Walt Disney? How did you meet the big D man himself in it? Walt Disney Studios back. When he was first getting his, his foothold in in his eyes in the American public, tell tell me a bit about that, Marty. Well, after uh, Mick got his foothold in the industry and he was team working on with Walt on some early projects, uh, Mick felt you know I wasn't sure, like I said, wasn't sure what to do with myself at the time, and Mick decided to be a good brother and put in a good word for me to Walt. So I was talking one on one with Walt. You know, I wasn't fit to be a childhood cartoon character, so I was working behind the scenes, you know, lights, etc. Where did that lead? Where does, uh, your relationship with Walt take a turn for the, for the national, uh, socialists' uh, agenda of Nazi Germany, America? Where, where does that start? Well, you remember that propaganda cartoon back in the 40s called Donald Duck in Nazi Land, where Donald Duck himself was a Nazi, but it all ended up being a dream? Yeah, he woke up as, uh, as, was it Uncle Sam, or was it the Statue of Liberty, one of the two? Uncle Sam, right? Yeah, he woke up with the American flag on his wall, the, uh, Statue of Liberty on his windowsill, and he was just saying, God bless the USA. Oh, what a cheese, huh? Yeah, <laughs> cheese. So, uh, where, uh, where does that come in here? So, the night after that went on air for the first time, I went into Walt's office to see how he was doing. Maybe we could celebrate, go for a few drinks. And I open the door and I see him placing his hand tenderly against a photo of Adolf himself with a, oh deter- with a determined look in his eyes. 
So he notices me come in. He sh- he scrambles and hides the photo. I go, whoa, what was that about? Are you are you like a Nazi or something? <laughs> well, uh, just shut the door. I'll explain. Oh boy, this is this is getting intense. So we were talking. He was telling me about you know, you know, I hate the Jews and whatnot. How they're ruining the world, and you know, it kind of made sense when you think about it. So he told me there was a meeting uh, with this with this band of misfits for neo-Nazism or whatever. So I thought I'd attend to see what it was all about. Hmm. And I I enjoyed it. I I went every week. Uh, so was it what what part of the ideology? What part of this of it was it the strengthening of America or the eliminating of unwanted? Uh, parties, for lack of better words. Oh, we definitely need to get rid of those Jews. They are just sucking up all the money like a vacuum cleaner. Can't can't say I agree, but I, yeah, I mean, for the intent of uh, listening, I'm I'm good to I'm good to listen. Good to listen. There's a lot of a lot of speculation. I'm not here to censor. So uh, from from there, uh, how did that how did that lead into you uh, siding with the mole men in the first battle? The, un- the first underground battle with the mole people. How did that begin, Marty? Oh, well, uh, back in the uh, 60s, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Morocco Mole, he did several things with Secret Squirrel back when Hanna-Barbera was still relevant. Um, he was actually, in secret, the lieutenant of the Mole Men Armada. Huh, you don't say. Yes, it was actually quite fascinating, given someone of his stature. But, um, so... He, since, you know, I was, you know, Mickey's brother and Mickey was living the high life, he asked, you know, if he could, uh, receive some funding for his, uh, missions. So, hmm. in secret, for actually the past, uh, 40, 50 years now, I've been, uh, taking money from Mick. Hell, I still am. He doesn't know that. You steal money from, from Mickey? Yeah. Huh. He's, he's got enough. He ain't gonna miss it. He ain't. That's, that is, that is the truth. That is Mickey the Mouse truth. is, uh, he's, he's an American icon. I don't have to tell... Tell you, you, you guys on the other end of this uh, interview twice. Maybe it's good that a little bit of of that Walt Disney cash flow is going towards our our fight, our fight against the uh, against against the lizard. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about growing up next to Mickey. How does he feel about your whole ordeal, signing with you know Walt's darker side and the and the propaganda d- uh, era during World War Two? Tell me a little bit about that. Honestly, Mickey is so naive. Honestly, he hasn't even picked up on it. He still hasn't, even with uh, Walt's frozen head. You know that whole thing. That's true. It's an under. It's in the. Um, it's a small world ride. It's still there. I was, I was gonna ask if he was still frozen. Ice. Is that just his head? Uh, just the head, or just the head? Do they have plans, Russians, to reanimate robots? Oh yeah. What do you think here? Well, with uh, since we managed to get the Muppets back, uh, Jim Henson has been working on some animatronics. So maybe somewhere down the line, say twenty, thirty years, we'll have something perfected so Walt can come back and uh, lead the new regime. Huh. Say, so, uh, no, not for this, but maybe for future interviews. Do you know if Kermit has any relatives willing to to go under the the blindfold? Uh, that whole. The whole shindig you had to go through to, to to get into my my lair here. Do you, do you know? Well, nothing comes to mind right at the moment. But uh, I hear Miss Piggy is pretty angry at him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> woman. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Well, uh, that aside, so you never knew. Uh, 
Nah, he was just completely, like, he never knew. To he, this day? To this day. What What do you think he would, if he were to listen to this podcast, if he were to listen to us, how shocked would he be? What do you think would happen? He'd probably laugh it off, saying, Ha ha! Oh, Marty, that's just a parody or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's... Uh, did you always sound like that, or did you just shrug off the, the years of alcoholism? <laughs> it's something I'm not proud of. Hey, haven't solved us. <laughs> uh, I'm a little drunk right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, this guy. Uh, two different spectrums, two different worlds. Both uh, fighters against the lizards. So Walt's still frozen, but, uh, how, tell me a little bit more. How did, what did Walt do to coerce you into joining, uh, the natu- the National Socialist Party of, uh, not just Germany, but the budding underground party here in America? Well, at first I was like, uh, that doesn't sound like a good idea at all. But he bribed me and persuaded me. The best way possible. How, how much are we talking? This is, I mean, this is like what? Not 19. money. Coke and tits. Simply put, Coke and tits. Coke and tits. And when uh. Disney offers you Coke and tits, you just cannot say no. I, I don't think, I don't know if I'd be able to say no. That's that's a pretty hard, pretty hard bargain there, Marty. <laughs> There's a reason why they call it the magic of Disney. <laughs> oh. All right, all right. We mentioned before. That this got you, you went to the meetings, you, you fully adopted the, the thoughts of the regime and you've kept them alive in, in your heart, at least, um, past World War II up to the present day. What, what was it specifically? Was it Walt, was it Walt Disney who coerced you to do the Mole Men? Was it some mammalian link? What, what is here, man? What is, was it, was it here, Marty? Well, it's a little bit of both what you said, you know, Walt being the father that I never had, um, you know, we uh, mammals gotta stick together. You know, as the saying goes, uh, hairs on a mammal stick together. I think that's how it goes. I've heard it before. So yeah, you know, I thought I'd help my mole brothers out and, uh, you know, I owed, uh, Morocco mole a favor, so I thought, why the hell not? Now that, that, that just, it leads me to my next question here. You yeah. why, why the moles? Why not? fight for wizard kind, they certainly have resources, or why not, well, let's why just... not, why not fight for, for mouse kind, why not try to get, get the mice like you, Mickey, and, uh, many other deserving rodents up on the, on the higher scale, up in the food chain, well, if you will. Well, Mickey kind of already solved that problem himself, being, you know, America, the world's most iconic mouse in history, so no one really fucks with mouse kind anymore. Mm, but, um, not even cats? Not even cats. Damn. Not even Sylvester. I, I need, need to replace my cat with a, with a ferret. There's those guys, rodents, some dark, yeah, well, not that I wipe you out. Yeah, I, of course. My yeah. bunker has a mouse problem. Oh, well. But there were a lot of, not like you, very uncivilized, no, I, I, very, yeah. very un, unused to civil, civilization, very, not, not so, not so cultured. Well, in regards to uh, the last of your end of your question regarding the lizard man, well, just go keep this between us. Uh, I've actually been uh, funding both sides because it uh. makes quite a hefty profit in the end. 
Oh, Supply, supplying them with weapons, etc., uh, uh, etc. Et oh, no. Of course, I'd you know give the lizard men not the best stuff. I just say it's the best because <laughs> I'm a rat. <laughs> you son of a bitch! I'd kill you, but we got the rest of this interview to go. You, uh, for the record, fuck the lizard men. We are not them. We are not them. Move, moving on. I guess I just have to ask, uh, so Disney's head, still frozen. Yep. Part of the regime. Uh, you want him to lead the regime. He's, do you know if his pulse still going or is he just a, a frozen head at, at this point? He's literally a block of ice right now. I see. Uh-huh. Any, is there any word from the Russians who I hear have this technology? What's, what, what are plans maybe to revive Walt Disney's head from the ice, uh, as it were. <laughs> that is something I cannot openly say right now, for I myself do not know, but I think later on in a time I will receive more information in regards to what you've just asked. Fair enough. Fair enough. Alright, so, uh, I guess to, uh, to conclude this, uh, this here, this here interview, what else would you, ugh, what else would you like to, uh, to add to the, uh, anything you'd like to say? Well, anything we brought up, any points you'd like to to make clear for future uh, future audiences there, there, Marty Mouse? Well, I can only say a couple small things, somewhat completely unrelated to what we talked about. Um, vote Vermin Supreme 2016. I'm all for that. He's a great man. Uh, knows good boots. Good boots. I like his headpiece. And who doesn't like that? Everyone gets a free government pony. If I had a pony, I'd be hand-grinding down a lot less basement-grown grains right now. It'd be pony work, I, I tell you. I'm afraid that's all I have for right now, but it was a pleasure being on the show tonight. It was a pleasure meeting with you, Marty Mouse. Uh, we might have different perspectives, but we still share a common goal, I imagine, against the lizards. Of course. Of course, of all course, right. yes, yes. Peace among worlds. Peace among humans. Fuck lizards. Well, that was very insightful. Let's give a hand to Todd for doing the interview, and also a hand to Marty for coming out here, especially under the circumstances it takes to get out here, to do this interview. Thank you very much. I'd like to take a minute to talk to you about the codfish. In today's society, we don't think too much about the codfish. The codfish seems like something of old, back in the day when fishermen from the United States, which I think was a colony in those different times, and throughout their history as an independent nation, fishermen would go out, they would catch their fish, they would salt them, bring them back, and it was a huge trade commodity. Other than that, Whale oil was also a huge commodity, which was also a commodity taken by said cod fishermen. So how come all of our currency, our Pledge of Allegiance, and other such American institutions have changed in cod we trust? The obvious choice of words, considering our history and our cod-based economy of the past, supporting our current great nation. Why in God we trust? We founded ourselves as a nation not influenced by religions, or kings, or foreign monarchs. 
So how come in the 60s, 70s, during the Cold War era, during Nixon's reign in Vietnam, we started to see either currency that had no marking on it, and a Pledge of Allegiance, along with money, saying, In God We Trust, written on the coinage. Well, this is for two reasons. One, as far as anyone can remember, there's always been something written on the bill that said, In God We Trust. Or something that looked similar to it, of course. Now, when the big scare happened and Nixon was forced to side with the lizards after the big Bowman battle, which was mentioned in our interview with Marty, he didn't know who to side for, and the American people were feeling weak. At that moment, the lizard people decided to use uniform religion to control us as mammals and as people, using our fear against us and writing in God we trust on the coins and on the money, and saying, a pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, blah blah blah, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, where once it said one nation, fueled by cod, or on the coins in cod we trust. It's an interesting distinction, and how come there are old coins and old money that just don't have anything written on it, when we do seem to remember, almost like as a collective dream, something being written on this money? Well, listeners, I'll tell you what they did. On the old currency, they simply wiped it out. The initial plan, according to well-known WikiLeaked documents, was to just change the C to a G by slightly marking every individual bill that was collected by the banks and sent back to the American vault in order to be reassigned. Very simple, but unfortunately, when you have so many bills and so few people and such limited technology for the time, it wasn't so easy to just change every C to the exact same G consistently. That would have raised questions. And questions were not to be raised at this time. Instead, it was deemed easier to just wipe the wording out entirely, put the bills back into filtration. For some of them had been tracked, you see, some had writing. There were consistencies that needed to stay consistent, and this was the easiest way. New bills and new coins and our Pledge of Allegiance used God instead of Cod, so that way we would remember a God-based, God-fearing country founded by people who wanted us to be free of such institutions in our government and decision-making. And with that, i like you to take a moment to look at your coins, to look at your pledge, to look at your country, and remember the cod fishermen, those poor souls who went out to Nova Scotia and England in small boats and small crews, facing piracy, facing storms, just to be able to make our economy the great one it is today in our great nation. When they went out there to salt our fish and make Boston the hub of civilization, which later spread to New York and Florida and all across our great country, the United States of America, which eventually led Canada to become the slightly hospitable place it is today, and leaving out Mexico because when we moved on from codfish, they hadn't quite moved on the same way we did. So thank you, old fishermen, although... By today's standards, it is in God we trust, it is in Cod, and your fine work in which our great nation stands. Thank you.
Well, my dear listeners, we are running out of time. But beforehand, I would like to share with you a recipe that I picked up living down here in my bunker. One of the main staples of my diet, like most people in either primitive parts of the world or people in situations such as my own, you rely on basic grains and canned food constantly. Perishables are a no-go in most of these situations, and like most, I have a well-stocked cabinet of various beans, of various flavors, a handful of sauces to keep things interesting, and some rice of both the brown variety, the white variety, short grain, long grain. You never know what rice is going to suit your daily needs. And this recipe is rather simple. You see, while I was cleaning out and around, I found an old pie crust. This pie crust is from 87, but it's still as good today as if it were made in the factories and shipped to my house post-haste by some postal service which I would rely on, if I relied on postal services at all. Now, I do have an oven down here, which some might discredit as an unnecessary expense when there's so much you can just do right on your stovetop. But, even though it's a luxury I don't use often, for it drains the power cells that my solar panels have been collecting all day at a rate much higher than most other electronics I use, today I decided to make an exception just to commemorate this pie crust. So the first thing you will need is a pie crust. This pie crust can be old, it can be new, so long as it is not contaminated by mold or so stale that it will not suit your palate. Next, you need canned beans of your choice, and you need some rice of your choice. Now what I do is I like to fry up my rice by first boiling it, getting it ready the same way you'd prepare your normal rice, but then when that's done I take about a cup, a cup and a half of that rice, and I put it in a frying pan with basic cooking oil. You can use coconut oil. I prefer canola, because it's what I have in bulk in giant barrels down here in my bunker for use until 2077. Next, I fry that rice, giving it just a bit of cooking, getting it a little less tender, a little more tough. Sometimes, if I have them, I'll toss in onions or maybe some garlic. Um, my canned onions and garlic supplies are running low, but I made an exception today. I also have something called Yugo sauce, which I picked up at a supermarket before going underground. Some places have sauces similar to this, but you can make it by mixing equal parts soy sauce and equal parts Worcestershire sauce, and you only need a little, maybe half a teaspoon at most to really bring out that flavor. Next, salt and pepper, and when that's all good, I take a can of beans, shake it up to make sure the sediments and juices are all mixed together, and pour that in there, and just mix it around, fry it up, get it to my right liked temperature. Much like you might when you make your normal rice and beans. And this is where the pie crust comes in. Now, what I've done here, rather simple, and I guess it's not much more of a step, you can take this entire concoction, pour it into the pie crust, put on a pie topping if you're so lucky, like a more pie crust, or if you have cheese, you can cover it in cheese, or if you have anything else that would serve as a nice delicious cover like salsa, you can do that too. I popped it in my oven at 400 degrees for about 30 minutes, and voila, I have myself some dungeon pie just like Mima used to make. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast, the first in a series of podcasts I plan on hosting once a month down here in the bunker to both keep my ties to humanity and keep you informed of what you need to know to survive a lizard-based apocalypse. If you would like to follow us online, please go to BillNyeIsALizard.com. That's BillNyeIsALizard.com for more proof, for more essays, and more shenanigans involving my adventures down here in the bunker. Good night, everybody. Take care.